We can't stop it. This great desire that is within all of us to worship because it's what we were created to do. Since the very beginning till the very end of time, every person across the earth's primary need and desire is to worship because it's what we've been created for. We have been created to worship, not ourselves, not a relationship, not our possessions, nothing other than Jesus, our Lord and our King. God created the universe so that it would display the worth of his glory. And he created us so that we would see his glory and reflect it by worshipping him. Giving him all the adoration, giving him all the glory, giving him all the praise that is due his name. Because he and he alone is worthy of our praise and of our glory. He's the only one who is truly worthy to be worshipped. A.W. Tozer puts it like this. He says, God is trying to call us back to that for which he created us, to worship him and enjoy him forever. How stunning is that? The only reason why we're here, the only reason why we are on this earth is to worship God and enjoy him forever. I love that. I love that. And in the final book of the and cha- the final chapter of the Bible in Revelation 22, we see John And John comes across an angel and his initial response is he bows down and he starts worshipping this angel. And the angel says to him, don't do that. I am a fellow servant with you and with your fellow prophets and with all who keep the words of this scroll. Worship God. In other words, don't worship angels Worship God. Don't worship all these things that life has to offer us. Worship God. Don't ignore God. Don't forget God. Worship God. This is in the very last chapter of the Bible, and it is the call of all humankind. It is the command, worship God. And today, I want us to look at the very first recorded song of worship. And it appears all the way back towards the very beginning of the Bible as we continue this evening in our series that Chuck and I are doing on glory. And tonight we are looking at Moses and the Israelites who became actually the first ever recorded worshiping community. And as we do that, I feel like the Lord wants to encourage us tonight. He wants to spur us on as a church family to keep pursuing him, to keep chasing after him, to keep going after the presence of Jesus, to allow our hearts to be led and guided by his spirit as he continues to shape us as a people and as a community who've been created to worship. And whilst we were away at um, a vineyard gathering just before Christmas, Chuck and I, there was some vineyard leaders in the room. And Harmony Smith, she came up to me. Now, Harmony leads Belfast City Vineyard Church alongside her husband, Andy. And she's also the director of worship for the vineyard in the UK and Ireland. And she said, Taryn, I've been praying for your church and I have a word for your church. 
And then she said, a new fire is coming in our worship. That's exactly what I said. I love that. Oh, my goodness. My heart let, my spirit let. Because is that not what we need? Is that not what this is about, this gathering, this time of worship together? We are desperate for more of the Lord, aren't we? We are desperate for him to break in. That is what we want. That is what we need. And you know what? As the fire falls, it's not just going to fall here. But what happens with a fire? It spreads, right? Yeah? A fire, I believe it, I can see it with my eyes. The fire is going to spread out of this place. It's going to spread into our city. It's going to spread into our shire. And it's going to spread throughout the nation of Scotland. Because that is what we are on a mission for. That is what we're crying out for. That is what we are desperate for. And that word is keeping me going. I love it. I love it. Do you know what, guys? You don't have to advertise a fire. Anyone seen a fire advertised? No. A fire advertises itself. That is what we want. We want the Spirit of God to magnify himself in such an incredible way that everyone, everyone can see this is God. This is God. Okay, so we are in the book of Exodus, like I said, and we are going to read from chapter 14, the very last verse of that, into chapter 15. But before we do that, before we turn there, we don't need it to go up just yet. Um, Let me just summarize where we're at. So um, the Israelites, they've been held in Egypt as slaves for many, many, many years. And Moses has gone to Pharaoh over and over again and said, let my people go. Let my people go. And every time Pharaoh says, no, no, no. And then he eventually agrees to let the Israelites go. And so Moses is leading his people out of Egypt. And as he's taken them out of Egypt, it says in the Bible, God hardens Pharaoh's heart. And Pharaoh suddenly thinks, oh, crikey, what have I done? And so he chases after the Israelites. He takes a massive Egyptian army with him. The Bible records, I think it's 600 chariots. So this great big army. And they are chasing down the Israelites. And the Israelites are caught between a rock and a hard place. Because on one side, they have the Egyptian army pursuing them. And on the other side, they have a mighty sea a mighty sea. And there is Moses. And the people are panicking and they're going, crikey, what are we to do? And Moses is standing on the edge of the sea. He's right on the edge. Now, the pa- I love going to the sea. Who likes going to the sea? Yeah. There's so much power in the sea, isn't it? Just imagine the roar of the ocean. There's Moses. He's standing over the sea. And the Lord says to him, stretch out your hand. And as Moses stretches out his hand, this incredible miracle happens. The sea parts. The sea, the most powerful thing, parts. You know, there's kind of fish and jellyfish flying everywhere. And it's it's parting. I bet they can't believe it. And suddenly, there's a walkway through. And so Moses leads his people all the way through, through this parted sea until the very last Israelite is through. And then the Egyptian army who are chasing them down, they're in the middle of that parted sea. And what does God do? He closes the waters. And their enemies, the Egyptians, they all drown. So we're going to pick up the story. And so we're reading from chapter 14, verse 31. 
and it's going to come up on the screen, and I'm going to read it to you. But you can, if you want to get your Bibles out, you're very welcome to. Oh gosh, if I can see it. (laughs) Okay. And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. Then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. Both horse and driver, he's hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He's become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him. My father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army, he's hurled into the sea. The best of Pharaoh's officers are drowned in the Red Sea. The deep waters have covered them. They sank to the, in, to the depths like a stone. Your right hand, Lord, was majestic in power. Your right hand, Lord, shattered the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you threw down those who opposed you. You unleashed your burning anger. It consumed them like stubble. By the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The the surging waters stood up like a wall. The deep waters congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy boasted, I will pursue. I will overtake them. I will divide the spoils. I will gorge myself on them. I will draw my sword and my hand will destroy them. But you blew with your breath and the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who among the gods is like you, Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders? You stretch out your right hand and the earth swallows your enemies. In your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. In your strength, you will guide them to your holy dwelling. Amen. Amen. There are so many things that I love about this passage. I love that Moses leads his people into a song of worship to God. And can I just say that if you are a leader in our church in anything, anything, remember first and foremost that you were created to worship. You were created to lead the way in worship. Before anything and everything else, that is what you've been created to do. I also love the truths that this song proclaims. Truths that are declared to God and for God and about God. But particularly what I love is that the Israelites' first and only response after crossing the Red Sea isn't to put the kettle on, isn't to get the dinner on, isn't to put the tents up. Or get, you know, little Johnny to bed. No, no, no. Their first and primary response is to worship God. To worship God. You see, wherever and whatever we go through, whether it's in the victory or it's on the battlefield, whether it's in the midst of celebration or in the depths of sorrow, for God's people, the posture over our lives is worship. Is worship. It's worship in every season of our lives. Raw, real, heartfelt, sometimes passionate worship. Because his desire 
is that we will be a people who always turn to him. Always look to him. To worship Jesus is always a decision. We call our hearts to worship, whether it be with great joy and thanksgiving or deep pain and sorrow. We choose to do what we were created to do in the way that we were created to do it. And that is to worship the Lord. So point number one is we choose to turn and worship him. Verse one, then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord for he is highly exalted. So God has broken the powers that held the Israelites captive. He has set them free. He's bought them freedom. And this has caused them to break out into song. And the truth is that there are times in our lives when songs just spontaneously burst forth from our lips to Jesus, aren't there? And there are other times in our lives when the reality is we do not feel like singing, like worshiping at all. Not one little bit. And that is where our will kicks in. That is where our worship to Jesus becomes a decision that we deliberately make. See how our will in worship is so incredibly important. Verse 1, I will sing to the Lord. Verse 2, he is my God and I will praise him. I will exalt him. Our will makes the decision of who we worship. And the reality is, if our will isn't choosing to worship Jesus, then we are worshiping something or someone else. When we put our will behind something, it happens, doesn't it? Just think for a moment in your life where you didn't want to do something and then you put your will behind it. It happens. It happens. Well, it's exactly the same when we don't feel like worshiping Jesus, when we feel like we can't. When we were in America, on our very final day in America, we decided as a family that for our final day, we wanted to go back to our favorite beach, which is Newport Beach. Has anyone been to Newport Beach? Caroline. Newport Beach is stunning. It's spectacular. The scenery is breathtaking. The waves are humongous. Our kids loved it. We loved it. Every aspect of it. So we packed up the car. We headed about half an hour, 40 minutes to Newport Beach. And as we were coming in to the beach, the har was in. The dreaded har. Now, the, the uh, sea mist, the fog, they get it over there too, guys. It's not just here. Uh, we were gutted because we could hear the sea, but we couldn't see the sea. It was so annoying. We couldn't see any of the spectacular scenery at all. And so we thought, should we turn the car around and go somewhere else? But we were like, no, no, no. What we're going to do is we're going to go and get something to eat. And maybe in a couple of hours, it's going to clear up. So we went to get something to eat. And sure enough, after a couple of hours, we came out and the sun was out. We could not only hear the sea, we could see it. We could see the breathtaking scenery all around us. And I wonder if that picture of the fog is a little bit like what happens when we don't feel like we can worship. The beauty of God is right there in front of us. But blocking the view is the fog. 
Maybe it's the fog of pain or disappointment or questions or hopelessness. But as we choose to worship Jesus, as we choose to place our focus not on the fog, not on the things that we can see, but on the beauty on the other side, as we choose to place our focus on Jesus, as we put our will into singing songs of adoration to him, we find that our heart begins to open up to him and he starts to beckon us into his presence. And the fog starts to lift and we see Jesus revealed in all his glory. You see, Jesus' deep desire for us is to be a people that no matter what our situation No matter what season of life we're in, no matter how we feel, our decision is always one where we will choose to bow down and worship him. Because in every season, and I mean every season, he is always, always, always worthy of our praise. Point number two. Worship brings us into deep intimacy. So it's not just through prayer that we get to talk to God, but also as we worship the Lord, we can communicate directly with him. Maybe you were finding that tonight. As you were worshiping the Lord, you were just spilling your guts to him. You were just telling him how you are and where you're at and what's going on. How incredibly precious is it that we can come before Jesus our heavenly father, our dear friend, the creator of the universe. We can come before him because his desire is to meet with us. As we reveal our hearts to him, he in turn reveals his heart to us. This means that we can bring all that we are, and I mean all that we are, in response to all that he is. Verse 2, the Lord is my strength, my defense. He's become my salvation. He's my God and I will praise him. My father's God and I will exalt him. You see, these lyrics and Moses' simple expression of his love and his adoration to his God The Lord is my strength, my defense, my salvation, my God. I will exalt him. It's such a beautiful and intimate posture that comes from a heart that is overflowing with thanksgiving and praise to God. You see, when our posture in worship is in pursuit of the living God, it means every corner of our lives, seen or unseen, comes into his presence. And it means the songs that we sing become an overflow of the heart. That we sing and and our heart just bursts forth. Our heart cannot be contained. Simon Ponsonby is one of my favorite Bible teachers. And I absolutely love this little phrase that he uses. He says, the one who is tender towards him becomes tinder for him. Now, tinder is uh, like fire lighter, fire sticks. It's not tinder. There. 
just to make it really clear, okay? So let me just say it again, <laughs> just in case there's some confusion. Okay. So he says, the one who is tender towards him becomes tinder for him. That is what I want. That is what I desire, to be tender for him so he can set me ablaze in a passionate pursuit of him. That's what I'm desperate for. You see, the Bible is full of accounts of intimate worship. You've got the woman who gate crashes a party, and there she is. She pours the most expensive perfume all over Jesus. She doesn't care about anyone else. She just wants to get to Jesus. She wants to worship him. You've got Simon Peter who's out with the disciples. They're fishermen. They've been out fishing all night long and not caught a thing. And they're pretty despondent. Then some chap on the beach just says, hey, hey, why don't you put your nets on the other side of the boat? And they're like, we tried that. And they're like, do it again. So they do it. And guess what? They haul in this massive catch of fish. And suddenly, Simon Peter realizes, oh my goodness, that isn't just a chap on the beach. That's Jesus. That's Jesus. So what does he do? He leaves the fish. He leaves the net. He leaves the disciples. He leaves the boat. He actually leaves most of his clothes. And he does this thing I like to picture anyway, where it's like that run, swim type thing. You know, where you're like desperately trying to get to Jesus. And so you're running, kind of swimming, running, kind of swimming. He doesn't care what he looks like. He just wants to get to where Jesus is. David fully engaged his heart in worship to God. After going through an incredibly tough, tough time, his heart response in Psalm 63 is, you God and my God, earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. In a dry and parched land where there is no water, I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Oh Lord, would we be able to say the same thing? Because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. I will be satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. You see, for David, God isn't some mighty but distant God. God is his God. And David adores him. Intimacy in worship church is not about us singing some nice, slow songs in a whisper. That is not what intimacy in worship is. Real intimacy in worship is when we are fulfilling our destiny. To be in a surrendered relationship with God where we give ourselves completely to him. And often I like to think of myself in those moments a little bit like a house. Maybe you've heard me say this before. Where I fling wide the curtains and I fling wide the windows and every door of my house, including the cellar. And I say, here I am. This is all of me. You can have it all. You can do whatever you want. I'm surrendered to you, Jesus. Intimate worship will always be our highest calling and aim in this life. 
Jesus doesn't want us just to go through the motions of singing songs to him. He desires our hearts. He's jealous for every aspect of us. He longs to be with us. I know that's really hard to imagine sometimes. I find that really hard to imagine, but that's the truth. He longs to be with us. We've been created to worship him. That's what we do. And you know what, guys? When we get to heaven, it's only going to get better. It is only going to get better. Point number three, the last point, worship cultivates expectancy. Verses 11 to 13. Who among the gods is like you, Lord? Who is like you? Majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders. You stretch out your right hand and the earth swallows your enemies. In your unfailing love, you will lead the people you've redeemed. In your strength, you will guide them to your holy dwelling. We can see that Moses and the Israelites, they are expectant for God to do more. He's already saved them. He's already delivered them from their enemies. But their expectation is it's not going to stop there. It's not going to stop there. They're expecting more working wonders. They're expecting that God will lead the people that he has redeemed. They're expecting that he is going to guide them all the way. And I find this so challenging because God has already done great things for the Israelites. Yet they're expecting more, more. And the beautiful thing about that is so can we. So can we? There is never a limit on what we can receive from God. There's never a limit on what he will do for us. And maybe for some of us, we look back over our lives and maybe there was a particular season in our lives when we felt incredibly close to God. Maybe we heard his voice so clearly. Or maybe we were just set ablaze in a passionate pursuit of him. And we would tell anyone and everyone about Jesus. Or maybe it was a time when we would, we would just pray for anyone who was sick. And we didn't care if we looked foolish or not. And we saw people get healed. Whatever that time was for us, what do we often do with it? We reminisce over it, don't we? We look back at it and we go, oh, that was an amazing time. And then what do we do? We file it away in the good memory filing cabinet ready to draw it out again at another point in time. Church, that is not what Moses is doing here. He's just experienced the most incredible, miraculous miracle, the parting of a flipping sea for crying out loud. I mean, it just blows your mind. And yet, he's asking God for more. He's expecting more. It's outrageous but also completely right, completely right. We never want to be the kind of people who settle. We never want to be the kind of people who go, oh, well, this looks like a nice place to set up camp. I'll just stay here. That's not who we are because there is so very, 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 very much, 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 much more, more, more for us that God has got for us. He's not even skimmed the surface of what he wants to do. 
And as we press into pursuing the glory of God, as we come expecting the Holy Spirit to move in worship, whether it's here on a Sunday evening or a Sunday morning or in pursue or in the upper room or a big gathering or wherever there is worship, we must be expectant for the manifestation of his kingdom. We must, we must. If it's, um, if it's not our constant hope and prayer that the kingdom will break in every single time we worship, then it needs to be. It needs to be. The dynamic of our worship is that we are always longing. We are always hoping for a visitation from the king. Every single time we come and we worship him. I recently came across this lady uh, called Annie Dillard. I don't know if any of you have ever heard of her before. I don't think she's a Christian, but yet she's got some really um, profound and beautiful insights into the Christian faith. And she says this, it is madness to wear ladies' straw hats and velvet hats to church. We should all be wearing crash helmets. Ushers should issue life preserves and signal flares. They should lash us to our pews. For the sleeping God may wake someday and take offense. Or the waking God may draw us to where we can never return. Church, are we coming with our crash helmets and our life jackets and our signal flares every time we come to church? Or are we coming with our straw hats? I don't know about you, but I would happily trade a straw hat for a crash helmet any day of the week. Just imagine for a moment, imagine walking into church tonight like you have and getting welcomed by our brilliant host team who always do a spectacular job of making people feel so at home and so welcome. And imagine them just handing you a crash helmet. And whispering to you, you might need this. Sometimes the spirit gets a bit rowdy around here. Don't we want that? (laughs) Yeah, we do. The spirit will blow wherever he wills. There is nothing safe or predictable about the Holy Spirit. We can't quench it. We can't stop him. We don't want to limit him because the spirit of God is Jesus's gift to his people and his church. I'll finish with this. Nikki Detroit, who um, is, was part of our Stonehaven site, uh, she was at our leadership conference. Her and her husband have actually gone to plant a vineyard church in East Kilbride. And uh, they were at our leadership conference that Chuck was speaking about. And she was in worship. And she was on her knees in worship and she could not get up. She couldn't get up. She tried many, many times to get up. And she said, I just felt the weight of God on me and I just couldn't stand. And then she said, I just felt these waves going through my stomach. And I just had a thought, Lord, are you healing my IBS? And I spoke to Nikki uh, a couple of weeks ago just to check and just to confirm that she is still IBS free. 
She's completely healed of her IBS. She no longer needs to eat gluten-free meals, food, anything. In fact, she loves a lot of gluten, she was telling me. She said, I love stuffing my face with bread and pizza. She's been healed just as she was worshipping the Lord. He came and he met with her and he healed her. Jesus declared the kingdom of God is now. Not the kingdom of God has been or the kingdom of God will be at some point in the future, but the kingdom of God is now. Let us be a people who live in the now, who anticipate and hunger and thirst for the breaking in of his kingdom here and now. There is something incredibly powerful and incredibly beautiful when the church, the bride of Christ, corporately, when we corporately come together with anticipation and expectation whenever we worship. Anticipation and expectation. Let's seek to be the kind of people who wear a crash helmet and never a straw hat. Amen.